Hey, what's up? So, Avalanche. Let's talk about it. What's, what's an avalanche? The snow comes down real fast, fierce, gains momentum. But I'm not talking about the natural disaster. Or if it's not really a disaster, I guess, if no one's around. But anyways, avalanche. What is it? You've heard about it. Now you're going to hear some more. It's an open source platform for launching decentralized finance applications, right? DeFi. That's what you want. Developers who build on Avalanche can easily create powerful, reliable, secure applications and custom blockchain networks with complex rule sets or build an existing private or public subnet. Right. I think what you should do right now is stop what you're doing. Even if it's listening to this podcast, stop, pull over, go to the gas station if you need to go to a subway. There's a subway like everywhere. There's always a subway. All right. Right, there's always a Kroger. Just stop in a parking lot somewhere. Go to avalabs.org to learn more. All right, stop. Go to avalabs. That's A V A Labs, L A B S.org. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Welcome back to the... Wait, that's not how we start our shows. I don't do that. That's weak. Everybody does that. Hey, hey guys. No, that's not how we do it. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. Um, episode 326. I'm the host that talks first, D. And we're missing a host today, so... <laughs> I'm Jesse. <laughs> no. That's right. That's right. Corey is down for the count. He's got baby drama. All right. So this kid is not cooperating with his life today. Kid said, look at me. I am your captain now. And now Corey has to do whatever his newborn wishes. So he couldn't make it. I know. Um, that's what babies do, bro. They come in like a wrecking ball and that's it. You had things you wanted to do, and now you're on the baby's agenda, right? So, do you want a baby? Um, I've had plenty of babies in the past. You know what I'm saying? But um, no, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, eventually, yeah, I'll probably like, you know, get a little demon seed out there, get a little demon spawn walking around here on the earth. You know, why not, bro? Just add some flavor to this mix. You know what I'm saying? So, what about you? Oh, wait. We've had this discussion on what the headers before. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a hard no. So, and I don't blame you, bro. There's plenty of humans walking around already. It's like, you know, 
we're at capacity. You know, why do we need to push the limits there? My week was uh, long. It seems like, so I've got this, this counter counting down behind I me and to my right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like uh, whenever I take a caffeine pill, time just dilates and it just, just goes real slow. But then once that caffeine pill wears off, man, time goes by fast. Mm. And I see that clock counting down and I'm just like, oh, my God. So stress. Do you need to invent that pill from that one movie where the guy takes the pill and then he can do everything really fast? Yeah. What's that? What's that? that. What's that movie called? It's got a it's got what's his name? It's Bradley. Bradley. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And then it's called uh, Limitless. Limitless, yeah. yeah. NZT is the pill. You still remember the pill? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to do yeah, NZT. this pill. Um, yeah, I wish I had a pill. No, like I tried. That. I'm pretty sure I tried making it's uh, cocaine. But that's like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever, like, not done a drug because you think you would like it? Yes. Yeah. Like cocaine. cocaine. That's the one. That's the one to me. I'm just like, you know what? Like, I don't know. It looks like it looks like a good time all around. It looks like, you know, so it's just like, you know what? I might like it too much. I'm just not going to do it ever. But man, it just it does yeah. look like a lot of fun. Looks like more fun than eating cotton candy. I'll tell you that much. So um, anyways, yeah, kids, don't do drugs. Um, what about you? How was your week? Man, it was really good. Um, you know, busy, but busy good. Managed. You know, I like a, I like a well-managed week. You know what I'm saying? Things just kind of fall in line. Nothing catches you off guard. If something does catch you off guard, you know, you've got, like, things in place to not get caught off guard. Or to, like, when, when you do get caught off guard, you can handle it quickly. You know, it's a pretty, pretty solid mm-hmm. week. You know, building doing my thing um you know just pretty anything fun did you do anything fun um one of my exes got invited to a lingerie party and decided she wanted to send me her options that she was going to the party with so that was that was great (laughs) those are some great pictures to receive if you know what i'm saying i was like cool this is like an interactive lingerie catalog I feel like I'm 12 years old all over again. You know, so that that was pleasant. You know, why are you rolling your eyes, Jesse? This is real life, bro. We're adults. I mean, like, come on, like, 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 I don't know, like a hobby. Like, I don't oh, know. you're talking about like, like regular shit. Uh, yeah, like, like, oh, uh, I mean, this is my hobby. This podcast. And so, you know, getting ready for today's show has been pretty cool. We're doing a lot of things behind the scenes that I hope. Um, reflect you, the listener. Yeah, I'm talking to you, the person listening to this, scarfing down a Krispy Kreme donut, a Krispy Kreme mini, right? Sipping on that black coffee because, you know, you got to have your unhealthy donut maxed with your healthy coffee. And then you got (laughs) to... I'm talking to you. Hopefully that hits you, you know. Um, But yeah, man, pretty pretty decent week. I got no complaints. Everybody's alive, you know, because of COVID and all. So... Yeah, you know, been pretty solid yeah. shit. So, um, yeah, we're gonna hop, hop into it. And, uh, and if you are another one of my other exes listening to the show, I strongly behoove you to send me your 
Andre Hopkins as well. I'm really good at judging that now. So moving on to the show, we had James. <laughs> we had Jameson Love on the show, and one of the things he just dropped that new high shit right before we were started recording. He dropped a blog. I guess you still call them blogs. Mental diarrhea on the internet about how there's systemic risk to all of crypto now that so many custodial services are popping up and by so many it's actually so little in comparison to the actual amount of users of crypto and it creates a systemic risk of the holders of these private keys right you're not supposed to have private all the private keys in the hands of a small number of people but that's what's happening again because i don't know man humans like to force their shit on every new system so they're like, you know what? Fuck this private key shit. I don't need to manage my own shit. I'll just let Coinbase do it. I'll just let Jim and I do it. I'll just let Poloniex do it. And what's happening is just a reoccurring of the exact same situation we're in. And I, we're like five years away from fractional reserve cryptoing. When you said earlier that Casa does like management of their own individual crypto token, I thought you meant like something along the lines of that, uh, what that kid did, that 20 year old kid in California where he ICO'd his own life basically. Well, no, what they do is they'll send you a little Casa Hoddle node and then they teach you how to manage your own private keys. Right. Oh, like a physical, like a physical node. node. Yeah. Which is, is, oh, okay. is dope and all, but you know, it's so detached from what could be considered convenient for the retail user of crypto, right? Like nobody walks around the closest relationship someone has with the money in their bank account is probably the app on their phone. Yeah. I don't think people would want a physical thing to be honest. Yeah. I think once you, once you've created apps for smartphones, you will, you kind of at the same time eliminated the desire for people to actually have like a physical piggy bank. Same thing with the, you know, banking, banking nowadays, right? So like, I don't think people are used to managing anything associated with a bank. So how do you, how do you, I don't know. Sometimes things feel moot. Sometimes things feel great. And currently with crypto, it feels like it's just going to be a recurring of the same exact series of events that led to the previous financial incumbent system, just with crypto sprinkled on the top. Are you are you uh, disenfranchised? No, because I own crypto and I got in it early enough to be a part of the franchise. But the people five years from now that are trying to get in the game, they're like, please, Black Sauce, can I have some more of your crypto? I'm going to be like, nope, <laughs> you get Satoshi's bitch. Fuel my wealth. No, I'm playing. <laughs> no. That's what's going to that's what's going to happen. This gonna... Why, so you're going to change your name. You're going to be like Cher. You're going to switch to your, your Halo gamer tag. The sauce? Is that how? Yeah, black sauce. Fuck it, I might. Uh, okay. <laughs> Not many people call me sauce. So, you know, okay. I might do that. I can call you sauce if you want me to. Nah. It doesn't even feel right. <laughs> Did I even feel right with you calling me sauce? I don't know, sauce? Nah. Doesn't. It's not. Nobody yeah. should ever call another. No, I feel like no man should ever call another man sauce. Like I feel like that should just not happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, 
You wanted that. I know I did. I wanted it in a video game setting. Oh, okay. All right. right. So it's all coming together now. So let's get back to it. So you're going to shit talk people in a game when you have crypto five years from now. I got it. Like, sauce. You got sauced. But, anyways, uh, we're, we're, so it's a bad thing, right? There's a certain level of crypto that you should be comfortable having someone else custodize. And there's another there's another level of crypto that you should always feel uncomfortable with people custodizing. Right. And that all depends on your personal preferences, on on your risks. Right. If, if you're somebody who's a baller like fucking Diddy, you know, you probably don't want somebody, you know, you could probably handle somebody being the custodian of them, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of crypto. No thing like, wow, Diddy, that's how I do it. But, you know, maybe don't maybe you don't. I don't know your life, listener. So, um, and I'm pretty sure like there's a bunch of other cool stuff happening in crypto this week. But really, the air that took the the sorry the the news event that took the air out of the room that sparked somewhat of a little jump in price across the globe for Bitcoin, not really for other cryptos, was PayPal as like yo, yo, we're we're tired of this bullshit. All right, we're gonna ba- we're about to get in this crypto game. You can buy, you could sell. You can hold. If you're a business, you can take Bitcoin, and we're all gonna do that for you as PayPal. What was the catch? I mean, the catch is they're gonna be the custodian of a bunch of people's private keys. That's gonna be the catch. The catch is they're gonna be the custodian oh. of a bunch of small businesses' private keys. Now, I thought you couldn't move the crypto off of PayPal. Was the catch? I don't know that. If you can verify that okay. before we jump into the interview, then then I would. But I didn't know that that was the catch. Yeah, I'll look it up. So basically what we're looking at, and then this excellent tweet went out from Willy Woo, uh, Woonomics. Uh, it's my one of my favorite crypto um, analysts, uh, if you will. You can follow him at Willy Woo on Twitter, at Willy Woo, W-I-L-L-Y-W-O-O. Shout out. Maybe if you shout him out on behalf of me and he gets on the show, I'll send you some Bitcoin. Because I've been trying to get Willie Woo on the show for a long time. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters in crypto. Just because he's so thoughtful. But what he said was, you know, even at maximum um, being very, um, I guess, aggressive with the estimates at the total number of users of Bitcoin on the planet. It's still like 20 to 25 percent of the total number of PayPal users. So overnight, you're looking at, I don't know, you go from 220 million users or whatever, uh, as a guess, over up to 481 PayPal members, right? That's huge. It's bananas. It's huge, right? So um, obviously very big news. And it's not just Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin Cash. I think they're doing Ripple. Sorry, XRP. I don't know why, but whatever and then there's another um and i'm pretty sure they'll do more because no smart financial business right now is just gonna sit on the sideline and let these other people make all this damn money off of crypto and not try to find their way into the game it just doesn't work like that right so what what jesse was able to find well jesse you just talk to what you found Mm, all right so i found the article um and basically the paypal um blog post, I think it said that you can only hold the cryptocurrency that you buy on PayPal in your account. 
Additionally, the cryptocurrency in your account cannot be transferred to other accounts on or off PayPal. That's what the help page said. So what the fuck? That's useless then. No, it's not. It's it's because they don't want you moving money. Like they don't want you to basically use them as like a service that can launder money. I guess. I don't know. They they just they 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 probably had some agreement that said okay, um, we're just going to be custodians of the crypto, but we're not going to facilitate transferring crypto from from the account that we manage for you to anywhere else because we can't verify that other entity in terms of like KYC. And so that's probably, you know, that complies with probably the, um, the issuance that the, what is it? Cybercrime thing, the AG, the U S defeats the, the entire purpose of crypto though. I mean, it, it does, but not for how PayPal will make money from you based on that. Right. Cause there's, there, you're going to buy, you're going to buy Bitcoin in PayPal. You're going to have Bitcoin on PayPal. And then you're going to spend it through PayPal. <laughs> so PayPal is going to keep collecting fees from from Bitcoin. Everything that you do with Bitcoin on their platform. It's fucking stupid. I mean, I I don't I don't disagree. I agree, but that's the way it's going to go because nobody's going to take flack for people trying to launder money between Bitcoin accounts because the the legality is too gray. All right, that's dumb. So PayPal's being dumb. You know, Lisa says eBay is going to have to up its merch game. I've never bought anything from eBay ever in my entire life. I actually haven't either. That says a lot about you, eBay. I hope you're listening. Site sucks. Always has. I don't know why so many people use it. It doesn't get the Jesse D stamp of approval. And I don't know if you know something or not, eBay. That's a hell of a stamp to have. All right. <laughs> now, you know, it'd be interesting when Amazon, because I don't know if PayPal is going to be able to facilitate payments to Amazon, but that'll be interesting. It'll be more interesting when Amazon themselves offers crypto as an option and then they can convert, you know, Amazon gift cards into crypto. And it's going to get pretty interesting if that happens. Not if. Because I'm pretty when. sure just 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 volume of money, mm -hmm. right? PayPal moves more money than PayPal does. No, it's definitely not an if. Oh, sorry, it's definitely a win. Yeah. And yeah. I think the zeitgeist is getting so uh, it's getting so juicy for crypto right now. I don't know. I saw this little clip. Remember? Huh? I was going to say, remember that, uh, like, I think two years ago, we saw the the news that Amazon has the ETH domain. Yeah. Like, they have the payment rails set up for Ethereum already. They probably have it for Bitcoin as well. But You know Amazon stays ready. I think ready. the infrastructure is in place. Amazon stays yeah. ready. Like, as, as, soon as, as soon as it's uh, minimal, supremely minimal risk, high reward or even minimal profit like even a minimal minimal profit for them to facilitate crypto purchases they're going to turn that shit on overnight it's going to hit all the headlines it's going to fucking rock the world and there we go i know a lot of people yeah. are investing in it i'm pretty sure kevin hart is investing in bitcoin too you see that little clip do you see that clip that was very no, funny it was like it was a, it was posted on r/bitcoin on reddit 
And mm-hmm. um, apparently Kevin Hart and his friends were doing a fundraiser, like one of those things you can call in. And you could tell it was a mm-hmm. skit, right? But you know there's some truth to every okay. joke. And one of his friends is like, hey, Kevin, you know, um, somebody here is on the phone. They want to pay with Bitcoin. And he's like, Bitcoin? Not, we're not taking that voodoo money. We're not taking that voodoo shit. We're not taking any of that. And then, like, out of the blue, like, he acts like he's hearing something on his on his earpiece. And he's like, wait a second. Yeah. $250 billion market cap? Actually a sound investment? Okay, I guess we are taking Bitcoin. We are taking cryptocurrency. Uh, and then you see, like, a little label come on the bottom left of the screen. It says, we are accepting cryptocurrency for donations. And I was like, holy shit, man. Kevin Hart owns Bitcoin. There's no way he doesn't. You know, uh, I, I don't know if you follow him like Kevin Hart, but like when I was like deep into poker a few months ago, like I was watching him play poker mm-hmm. at some uh, pretty big tables. He's actually pretty funny while he's playing. He's poker really funny. Still. Man. I've yeah. for a long time. I hate, I try to hate on Kevin Hart, but I actually started to think Why? he's really funny now because this stand up is so like. I don't, I don't like stand up comedians that just laugh at their yeah. own jokes. That's something okay. that's like, does he, do he that? does it all the time. It's a pet okay. peeve of mine. It's like, be the comedian. We don't need your assistance yeah. with what to laugh at. Like, if you're a good comedian, I'm gonna, you're gonna make yeah. me laugh. You're not gonna, I don't need you to laugh at your own jokes. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that is a funny situation, comedian. Yeah. Like, no, like, say something funny. Like, make me laugh. Anyways, say something. They make me like he says that he says that he hates that about people in the audience. It's like say something funny, make me laugh. That's all we want. <laughs> Motherfucker, that's <laughs> why we're here. We paid money to, to watch to sit there so you could make me laugh. Like we didn't show yeah. up just to watch you make yourself laugh. Like, anyways, yeah. Let me get off of my Kevin Hart soapbox. He's actually tell, tell me how you really feel about Kevin really Hart. He's <laughs> actually extremely funny. But anyways, let's 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 get back in. So uh, we happen to be interviewing Jameson Lop. Uh, he is a very, 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 um, I don't know, like wise, knowledgeable, talented Bitcoin enthusiast, uh, co- not, not just an enthusiast, that would be like underselling this man. Um, he is the co-founder of Casa, which Casa Hodl, like their mission is to get everyone to be the custodian of their own cryptocurrency. Um, which if you're new to cryptocurrency, what that means is that you actually have ownership and know where and are storing your own private keys and no one else is doing that for you. You know, without further ado, here it is. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, real excited to bring you all this interview. Um, we have... I know you guys hear this term thrown around a lot, but we have a certified Bitcoin OG in the house. Um, Mr. Jameson Lop. Jameson, how you doing? Good. It's always funny to hear myself uh, coined as an OG because, you know, it's all relative. You know, to, to me, there are plenty of other people who I consider OGs, but I can see how, you know, having been in the space for the vast majority of its existence relative to most people, I guess I have been around for a while. Do you ever like, <laughs> go ahead, Corey. When was it you actually got in? When did you start? Well, I first, 
So I'll never remember the first time I heard about Bitcoin because I know I dismissed it several times before I actually looked into it. But it was like summer, late summer, early fall of 2012 when I actually got around to reading the white paper and actually grokked the whole significance of the system. And, you know, it was within uh, a few months after that that I, I started, you know, sending wire transfers to MT Gox so I could actually play around with the system and understand it better. And then within a year of that, I was forking Bitcoin Core and uh, working on my Satoshi project to even further understand like what was actually happening inside of a node. And, you know, that was just the beginning of my journey down the rabbit hole to eventually going full time in uh, early 2015 with BitGo. Mm. BitGo. Wow. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Do you ever not correct anyone? Like, like if you're introduced, like, Hey, this is Jameson Lop. He's an OG. And they're like, oh, snaps, like you must know Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and like all the other OGs. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. I hang out with Dre all the time. Or you're like, no, I'm a Bitcoin OG. It's a different thing. You know, I haven't had uh, <laughs> too many people make much of a, a deal out of my status. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the OG thing is kind of a, a weird moniker because, you know, I think one of the issues with it is that everyone assumes that you're incredibly wealthy because you must have bought you know tens of thousands of bitcoin when they were less than a dollar <laughs> and the the truth of the matter is that the, i would it's hard to put a number on it but you know probably the majority of people who were in you know when bitcoin was a dollar ten dollars whatever managed to either lose it or sell it because they thought it had already gone to the moon or you know, have any number of other catastrophes or just normal life things happen to them that resulted in them not holding on to much of the early Bitcoin they had, if they even got that much in the first place. I think especially on the developer side, uh, a lot of developers did not approach it as an investment. They approached it as a software project and they were just interested mostly in that side of things. So um, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions of what comes along with the term of OG, um, simply because there are a variety of avenues that people can get into the space in the first place, and not all of them involve you know, the financial investment side of things. Nice. Nice. I, um, I, um, I just know that I've been following you on Twitter for some time and it's always just been a wealth of knowledge and information. So I can personally say that, but, um, go ahead. Yeah, I tend to point you, I tend to point people over to your, your, uh, your website that has a bunch of listed resources for various things people may want to do or learn about. Um, yeah. so well, thanks for putting that together and, and curating it for such a long time. Cause that's been invaluable for me to just have a place to point to when I'm like, Oh, you need that. Well, here's a good resource to go look where that, like, trusted things to go learn are yeah and you know that's one of many different projects that i work on but i would say that i probably touch that uh knowledge base almost every day 
either because I get pull requests or because just during my normal daily operation of trying to stay on top of everything mm -hmm. in the space, I find some new resource that I realized fits well on one of those sections. And, and it is a community thing. You know, it's an open source project, uh, pull requests, welcome. And in general, like if anyone has recommendations for, you know, better ways to organize it, make it more user friendly, um, you know, there, there's a lot that could be done to it. Like it would be great, for example, to translate it into other languages. But the main problem with that is that a lot of pretty much all of the underlying resources are English based. So, you know, if the goal is to try to help onboard the rest of the world and improve their understanding of Bitcoin, we've still got a long ways to go, especially if you want to reach out to non-English speaking communities. That's really okay. true. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it's, it's been a while, but I still don't see our podcast here on your audio podcast resources tab. I mean, I feel like there you go. See, there's something like I want to say over a thousand links now spread out across uh, my resource site. But see, it didn't take you long to find something that's missing. So there's definitely room <laughs> for improvement. I'm almost a thousand percent sure that's my fault personally, because you told me like, oh, you got to go to GitHub. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And then I forgot to tell Corey. So that's on us. That's not on me. But <laughs> we should we should probably get on there because we got all this audio that people need to hear. So, um so I want to talk about Bitcoin's upgrades, like, cause like, I feel like when Bitcoin gets an upgrade, it, it takes such a monumental human effort, like in patience and just, just, it's just patience. Like everybody utters like, Hey, Bitcoin could get an upgrade. And then maybe three or four years later, it's like, Oh yeah. Remember that thing it's happening maybe. And I feel like we just turned the corner on Taproot and Schnorr. Uh, Corey and I just did. A show, our last show was kind of explaining what Taproot and Schnorr are. But, you know, I'd like to give you an opportunity to kind of maybe explain that to our audience as well. And just so we can constantly keep that on people's mind as to what the code base now has in it. Yeah, you know, it's tricky to talk about some of the low level protocol changes. because I think that they specifically should not be user facing and the average Bitcoin user should not need to even know that they exist. Um, you know, this is what I've spent the past five years trying to do is to build better software so that we can abstract away a lot of the complexities of the protocol because I believe that the, the freedom of the protocol, uh, of course, gives you the ability to have this level of self-sovereignty and self-containedness uh, its security level uh, that is really unparalleled. But the flip side of that is that there are so many foot guns where you can screw up and have a you know, catastrophic mistake. So the, you know, even letting people like have access to some of these low level functions is a, very powerful thing, but can also be a very dangerous thing. So, you know, with regards to some of these new protocol functions, the Schnorr aggregate signatures, the 
uh, taproot and tapped script ability to have much more complex Bitcoin scripts that is more scalable and more private. Uh, these things are great, I think, as developer tools, and they certainly should be implemented in a variety of different wallets and use cases. I mean, I'm especially excited about Schnorr because you know, Casa is a multi-sig Bitcoin self-custody vaulting service. Like we're trying to make it extremely easy for the average person to create a self-custody setup that is arguably like better than bank grade security because it's actually geographically distributed and is built in such a way that it eliminates single points of failures you know, just by following the design of the system. So you know, being able to implement something like aggregated signatures under the hood is great for us because it's going to improve people's privacy with their on-chain uh, activity by making the multi-sig transactions appear to be single signature transactions to anyone who's observing the blockchain. It's also going to decrease the fees that they need to pay for transactions because you're going to be using less of the block space. And then the, the, the taproot and tap script stuff, it's, it's hard to even convey the possibilities here because really it's not it's not fundamentally adding new logical functionality to what you can do with bitcoin scripts like the actual bitcoin scripting language is remaining the same rather it's making it so that you can create extremely complicated bitcoin scripts that you don't have to put in uh, every transaction where you're spending from them so right now if you create an insanely complex Bitcoin script, the problem is when you go to spend it, you have to reveal that entire script and all of its possible conditions for unlocking that Bitcoin in order to prove that you are successfully meeting those conditions. But with TapScript, you can instead use something called Merkleized abstract syntax trees, which is basically using some cool cryptographic uh, Merkle tree data structure so that you only have to reveal the like minimal number of spending conditions. Now, like this stuff, I think is pretty boring for the average user. Um, what it really means once again, is that your wallet software developers can build much more complex uh, functionality into the ways that you can spend your Bitcoin and shove that all under the hood in such a way that it, it doesn't have to bloat your day-to-day -day transactional spending. So, you know, we want people to continue to be able to use Bitcoin in a similar fashion to what they are now, at least from a user interface. But with something like TapScript, you can, you can, create all of these, I guess you could call them um, exit conditions or you know exit uh, edge case uh, handling where uh, one way that I try to apply it like in terms of our CASA's multi-sig setup is imagine you have a, a three out of five multi-sig wallet and the keys are, are geographically separated and something happens and the majority of those keys get destroyed somehow. Well, normally 
if you're using just a three out of five multi-sig, then that's it, game over, you've lost. There is no way to you know, retrieve enough cryptographic uh, private key data to recreate enough signatures that can then uh, spend the Bitcoin. But when you can have more complex scripting, then you can start to create these other edge case conditions uh, involving things like time locking. So you could create a, a gracefully degrading multi-sig is the way I've referred to it, where you can have other conditions that basically say, you know, if this Bitcoin has not been spent, you know, in X number of years, then change the spending conditions so that you can potentially spend with a fewer number of keys, for example. So that mm. can give you a sort of out from certain catastrophic scenarios while still allowing you to retain the same level of security today. And, you know, that's just one example um, because what we're really doing is opening up the ability for the programmers to create more complex scripts. It's really being left open to your imagination of what you can do within the limits of the current scripting language. So this is once again, another great powerful tool, but I also expect that there are going to be a number of mishaps where you know, people fall into the trap of creating too much complexity and that causes an issue that will you know, cause people to lose their money so I'm, I'm a bit wary of it um i actually gave a whole talk about this uh, in boston at the beginning of the year or like right as uh the pandemic shutdowns were starting to happen and i was basically mm. cautioning developers uh not to be too over eager jumping into this type of stuff because there are some other you know recovery issues that come along with creating more complex scripts uh, especially when it comes to like how do you recreate a wallet from scratch for example but you know this is getting into really low level stuff but it's very it's actually very similar to some of the issues that we've seen people have with lightning wallets where you no longer have all of the data that you need to reconstruct a wallet just in your seed phrase there you get to the point where you need additional data that you keep updating and backing up as you're using the wallet because mm. you're, you're you're putting, uh, to use the technical term, you're putting non-deterministic data into your redeem scripts. You know, things like timestamps, block heights, et cetera, et cetera, things that you can't um, determine from the seed phrase. So it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how developers approach this because you know we don't want to we don't want to backslide um, from a historical standpoint if you were around the bitcoin space before 2013 or 2014 um, that that is when hd wallets you know hierarchical deterministic wallets became a thing before we had that type of wallet where you could just have a seed phrase that you can programmatically and deterministically generate all of your keys from the wallets were actually using just random key pools where you would have a hundred randomly generated keys <laughs> and as you used those keys your wallet would generate new keys and say, this actually, terrible taste 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this became a loss vector because then you would have to be backing up your wallet, you know, as you were using it. And um, a lot of the wallets did not inform the users that they needed to be doing that. So there was a decent amount of Bitcoin that was lost simply because you know someone did not have a recent enough backup of their private keys. So basically, I want to avoid us getting into that same type of situation where you lose your money because you have some catastrophe and your backup is too old. I got to yeah, I can take this in a few different places. Like for one, like why are you are you purposely avoiding the term smart contracts because that's what they are. Um it's, it's just that there's a, there's a stigma around what that term means, even though I think we can both agree it's a terrible term, but it's it's generally understandable across the ecosystem. But they may, I guess, refer to solidity when you start talking about those things. But in essence, these are smart contracts. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's funny because I think it it feels like you know Ethereum has kind of uh, grabbed the term smart contract to to mean you know much more rich. Um, you know, almost like virtual machine type uh, interpreting of contracts by everyone on the network. And Bitcoin takes a very different approach to this, where instead of actually, you know, running and interpreting the smart contract, you know, in the node on the blockchain by, you know, everyone mm -hmm. at the consensus thing, the Bitcoin way of doing it is um, do as much of the logical uh, interpretation off chain privately and then submit, you know, some sort of compact proof to the network that you have met whatever the, those conditions are. And the rest of the network should not care what the conditions are. The rest of the network should only care that you have met the conditions that you and whatever other party have entered into uh, ahead of time. So it's, it's more of a, um, you know, validate minimal set of proofs type of uh, smart contracting than it is uh, you know we're gonna run all of the logic on all of the nodes but you you do essentially end up with the same type of you know fundamental building blocks and logical constructions it's just it's kind of like an inverse way of going about doing it i think it is a more yeah. challenging way to go about architecting a system like this, but it's a much more long-term view in terms of privacy, scalability, et cetera. There's also a level of like um, security and I, I'd, I'd be weary of trying to use the same terminology um, and also bringing a lot of hype into the additional complexity you can have within these scripting systems or like, you know, uh, I don't know to call them scriptless scripts or whatever Andrew Polster likes to use. You know what I mean? Like you're adding a lot of potential uh, feature sets into how people can manage their Bitcoin and what conditions they can unlock them. So you can build these, like, like you said, really interesting features on the user side um, by using this technology. But you run the risk of like whenever you add complexity, you run the risk of people shooting themselves in the foot, like you like you previously mentioned. and that education process of this is the correct way to design, architect, implement, and and but show to the user a specific feature shouldn't be done haphazardly, right? We kind of saw that with Ethereum. They, they, they had a massive on-ramp of developers by 
architecting Solidity to look like JavaScript. And now we have a bunch of very insecure smart contracts um, on the network holding inordinate amount of, amounts of money. So it's, it's, it's very exactly. hard to make good smart contracts, right? But it's very easy to make smart contracts. Yeah, so yeah, I think that, you know, the fact that it is more challenging, um, it will turn more developers off from trying to build in this fashion. But I think the flip side of that is that the people who are dedicated enough to try to take this route are less likely to make novice mistakes. You know, there will certainly be mistakes made. That is really the... Uh, fundamental nature of what we're doing, experimenting and doing groundbreaking new things. But you know, when when you lower the bar too much, it uh, it makes it easy for people to really repeat the mistakes of the past. I mean, a lot of the mistakes I think that have happened in Ethereum are just variations on a theme, and it's almost always a result of just not putting in enough QA and testing and, and you know adversarial thinking about the ways that these things are being built. Hmm. It's just an argument around like, it's an attempt to be as inclusive as possible. But at the same time, like the more people you include into something, the lower you, the, the, the more you lower that barrier of entry and make it inclusive to everyone, the easier it is for people who are naive or ignorant to, to mishandle a powerful technology. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, we, we very well may get to the point where we have enough layers that are built on top of this new low level functionality where, you know, there's no reason why you can't build uh, more developer friendly, uh, like developer environments and auditing tools and all this other stuff. I mean, that, that type of stuff has been happening on Ethereum to, you know, try to make it easier to, to verify the security of what you're writing. Um, the same type of thing can certainly happen in Bitcoin, you know, to make, I guess, the composability of more complex, but, uh, verifiable smart contracts a thing and i'm i'm pretty sure you know blockstream has several different people for example that are working on that type of stuff so you know it's still probably going to be a number of years before we get anywhere to the same uh, level of ease for a novice to jump in and start like doing a drag and drop type uh composing of a smart contract on, on Bitcoin, but there's no technical reason. Uh oh, sounds like we lost you for a second there. Lop. What I do know is that when we do make it to drag and drop, uh, let me know because I read a lot of picture. <laughs> I, I read a lot of picture books as a kid. You know, it ain't a real book if it doesn't have pictures in it. I'm that's why you know. So I need to be there. Whenever that happens, I'm in there. I'll help out. I'll get I'll get my hands dirty. That's why I'm your friends, Dave. <laughs> yeah. So give me the newsletter and it's like, hey, uh, programming on Bitcoin is drag and drop. I'm in there. I'll be the first one. So um, let's switch it up. A well, based bit. on that, like, hold on. I got, I got one more. I don't know what kind nope, of wanted to switching uh, it too late. Bring up. Nope. I'm going. I'm going mm -hmm. in hard. Uh, based on what you mentioned earlier about kind of the user shouldn't have to see this. And what you're trying to do at Casa is, is abstract away all that complexity on what you can do at the developer level to something that 
makes an intuitive feature for the end user that they can use and do something more securely than they ever could uh, uh, with more like, I guess, personal responsibility or things like that. How do you, how do you think about the process of developing new feature sets using these new tools and how you surface that to the end user in such a way where it's going to be like approachable to them? Well, it's really for us about providing a you know, curated and guided experience. So one of the biggest issues that I have with most Bitcoin wallets, um, or, and I consider this, you know, when I say Bitcoin wallet, I mean a like self-custody wallet where you're managing your own keys. All the other stuff are just you know, thin interfaces to some backend system that's actually doing the heavy lifting. Um, but one of my biggest problems is that they are are too, too like power user focused, by which I mean they had bells and whistles, too many levers, and this causes a poor UX for the average person who probably doesn't even understand what the majority of these options really mean, you know, what the ramifications of them are, and that becomes compounded when you add this to the fact that. You know, if you're just running free open source software, there's probably not a like dedicated help desk for you to go to, to, to ask these questions. It's really more of a community support thing. So the, the quality of uh, support that you can get when you're, you're not paying for a service is uh, highly variable. There's, there's no guarantee uh, for what, what you're going to get as a response if you're just like posting on a forum or whatever. So this, I think, is one of the reasons why a lot of users probably prefer the custodial services is because, you know, there's not really much to do when it comes to their interface. You know, here's your balance. Here's a transaction you can do. Uh, you can withdraw. You can deposit. That's about it. When you start looking at some of the more complex like self-custody software that's exposing more of these things you know whether it's replaced by fee child pays for parent uh let's not even get into the whole like mixing uh software you know the various mixer based wallets it gets a lot more complicated with them um and and then like i think that you know if you're even exposing like the type of of scripts like a lot of wallets that have been around for a while are like, do you want to use legacy or do you want to use uh, P2SH wrapped SegWit or do you want to use native SegWit? I mean, like these are things that the user should not have to know about. You know, it they should just be presented with uh, what the real community consensus is for like the optimal you know set of, of of conditions for them to just be using as a regular wallet, and so. That of course can get tricky because you know different users need different things. Um, so it's like, do you build one wallet that can do absolutely everything, and then expect for the users to choose which knobs and bells and whistles they're going to use, or you know what we've done at Casa is we're saying, okay, we're going to build a wallet that does one thing really well, which is you know incredibly robust self-custody and you know we're going to focus on that one target and optimizing the user experience for that one thing 
And what does that really mean? Well, it means that we, we consciously do not add most of the bells and whistles and features of the Bitcoin protocol because we think that the complexity it would add, the confusion it would add, would be a, a net detraction from our very specific targeted user experience. And this you know, does cause pushback where we have sometimes more advanced users come in and they're like, hey man, how do I RBF this? Or you know, how do I you know, mix my funds or whatever, whatever. And we basically have to say, look, that there are other tools out there if you want to do that, but it is, you know, it's just not what we consider to be in the best interest of the majority of our users and the, the use case that we're targeting. So it's also different because, you know, we are a for-profit company. Uh, we have, like I said, this very specific mission. Um, other projects may be for-profit. They may be free open source software. Mm -hmm. um, if it's, you know, just a, you know, we want to do everything with the Bitcoin protocol while it's, you know, something like Electrum. Uh, I love Electrum, everything. But it's not something that I would send the, a newbie to. Um, I think we have ended up with a diverse ecosystem. You know, different pieces of software that that excel at doing different spe specific things, or in some cases, at being you know the general kitchen sink of the the Bitcoin protocol type uh, interfaces. So the I think the next real question is, you know, how do we convey to newbies what is the best tool for each task? And I think that's where it can also get tricky. You know, there are a number of different websites that have sort of matrices or filters to try to figure out, you know, what wallet is right for you. But I, I think that that's still a task that has not been really done that well and it can still be very confusing for people to decide you know what is the best bitcoin software for my use case yeah that is very hard we have that issue ourselves in terms of on-ramping different parts of different people right we educate as much as we can and people come to us for guidance on kind of like hey where do i go for this or i'm trying to do this thing what technology or um software project could help me do this, what wallet helps me do this, and so on and so forth. And it's hard to keep up with best practices or the current best software to do something for any given resource. And I, I don't really have an answer to that. I mean, unfortunately, most of the time, we just say go to Coinbase if you're trying to get started. And that's not pushing people in the right direction in terms of uh, helping the ecosystem. But I'm not sure of where else to go over time. And it's almost impossible to keep up with what's going on. So like, what do you do other than say buy a Cosa note? Yeah, I mean, that's actually one reason why we've been adding uh, Bitcoin purchasing functionality into our wallet is so that we can bypass that simple step where, you know, if you're talking to a, uh, what do you, you want to call them, a pre-coiner or a new coiner or whatever, and, you know, all they want to do is they want to get their first Satoshis and start uh, playing around with it, then I think the vast majority of people will say, you know, just go to an exchange that operates in your jurisdiction and, you know, hook up your bank account and get going. And of course, then I suspect most people, or at least if they're looking at Bitcoin just as a simple investment, 
they're going to treat that exchange the same way they treat their like 401k, their brokerage account, whatever. They're going to buy it and then they're just going to leave it there because they're going to assume that the exchange has that offers really like the same level of protections that their bank or their brokerage does. Um, you know, if they don't start digging really deeply into the the self-sovereignty aspects of this system. So that's why, you know, we have added some on-ramps to the Casa wallet so that, you know, if somebody just wants to get started very easily, they can actually make that purchase and the purchase immediately gets deposited into their own self-custody. And if they want to start out with just like a free single signature wallet on their phone, that's an easy way to do that. And then, you know, perhaps over time, if they get more into it, they decide to invest more, whatever, then we provide a really a series of different tiers that people can upgrade to, you know, start adding hardware devices, uh, start you know, moving your funds into geographically distributed multi-sig, trying to make it as easy for people to follow what I consider to be sort of the natural progression of uh, increasing your security to to meet the the level of of value that you're trying to protect. How's it going so far? What is, is it, you know what what's the most common good feedback you guys get? And then what's the most common you know maybe not so good you know, area for opportunity kind of feedback that you get? I mean, we have a number of different customer profiles, of course, you know, very early on, it was really hardcore OG Bitcoiner types who either were not highly technical or they were technical, but simply did not want to spend the time, you know, setting up and architecting and maintaining their own system. I mean, this was really born out of my own needs where I had been working at BitGo for three years and, you know, learned a lot about private key security, learned a lot about multi-sig and realized that I was still spending basically a weekend every year refreshing, updating, maintaining, redistributing my own cold storage setup. So I, I kind of realized, you know, this is a real pain for me to do. I'm sure that the vast majority of people are not going to go to anywhere near the links that I have, uh, you know, trying to follow all of the best practices that I had learned while working in the space. There was just, there's so much room for improvement there that, you know, I didn't want to spend that much time myself. I wanted to help people be able to achieve that same level of security without spending years in the space like I had. So this is something where it's been a, a learning experience, but we we learned a lot just from the first you know few OG Bitcoiners who came on, and then really over the past year, you know, as the the bull market seems to be warming up, we've started seeing new types of customers come in, uh, either people who have only been around since around the last bubble and now you know they're back in the black they're doing well they're the value of their holdings are rising they're feeling the need for better security or um what i think is one of the more interesting profiles is 
just the new coiner, like high net worth individual who has decided that, you know, given the macro environment, they need to diversify some of their holdings into this new thing, but they don't want to spend days, weeks, months figuring out how to do it right. And so for, for like the average high net worth individual who is not a like hardcore or longtime Bitcoiner, it makes a lot of sense to to jump in, you know, place your position and then, you know, pay a relatively small amount for a specialized service that is essentially onboarding you into the system, holding your hand uh, as you follow the best practices for, you know, navigating this uh, very tricky environment that, you know, has a lot of foot guns in it. So, you know, we, you know, we offer the same value proposition to everyone, which is, you know, making it easy to have a, uh, a setup that is robust and resilient and makes it a lot harder to have a catastrophic error. Like we, we build redundancy into the system so that you can recover from really any conceivable threat or loss. But, um, it's you know it's different for different people mainly based on if they're if the majority of their worth is from bitcoin and you know this is everything to them or if they are you know wealthy outside of bitcoin and this is just a a sort of hedge for them so you know that's part of the reason why having a client services component is very important for us and i think differentiates us a lot from pretty much every other self-custody setup Uh, the majority of of which like i've said are just free open source software which means you know you've got a lot of um, a lot of powerful uh, functionality if you put in the time and effort to figure out how to use it right, but also, you know, plenty of things where you can make mistakes. Um, if you haven't done your research, if you, um, if you haven't thought through all of the possible things that could go wrong, this is kind of, I think for newbies, a way to jumpstart, uh, that process, uh, even really take a shortcut past a lot of the, the learning and and hard lessons that a lot of us had to learn in the early days where we were still exploring all of the things that could go wrong in this space. You know, we're, we're trying to package it all up in a single product and service that will essentially save people a lot of time. Nice. Um, you know, I never dug into the Casa device because we didn't, get ours, Corey, because we didn't follow the rules. <laughs> but didn't had, follow the rules. We didn't follow the rules to get our podcast on the list or get the Casa, so, you know, we just <laughs> didn't get a chance to play with any of it. But, Quality follow-up for the, the Bitcoin podcast team. Yes, absolutely. You guys know what we do. So, then we... <laughs> so, uh, But, you know, I think it's, it's been relatively great for you guys since. And I'm still of... I'm still on the team that, like, crypto needs... It's, like, cable modem not modem but like modem moment where you know every household has a modem in it but i think most households probably just think of it as the magic internet box and that's just what they roll with 
and that's just what it does. And the, the like, maybe there's somebody in the household who knows how to, you know, get into the gateway on a web browser. But most people in the house only know how to unplug it for 10 seconds and plug it back in. And then the Internet's back. Right. And I think that crypto needs something physical like that for people to understand, like there's some magic happening. Um, but that's just my like, uh, I don't know, opinion, I guess. Um, I, I guess what I'd like to ask is like, you know, not too long ago, I think it was like three or four months ago. You got a little Twitter buzz going around you, and I didn't read too much into it, but it just, to me, it looked like you did a job, and you got paid for the job, but then there were people who were really butthurt about it. They were like, oh, lop this, sell out that, did this, didn't do that. I don't know what happened exactly, but can you clear, like, what what was that about? Like, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, I I wrote a fairly lengthy blog post about you know my involvement in the INX exchange and a number of the, I mean, there wasn't just one. There was a number of different objections that various people had to it. Um, this is actually a project I've been involved in since early 2018, and it's unique in the sense that they were trying to follow what would be considered to be like the best practices from a legal and regulatory standpoint of how do you IPO a startup with cryptographic tokens. And so the, the idea was that they build a new exchange and help bootstrap that exchange via an, an IPO. And this is specifically not an ICO in the, t- the terms that we would think of from like the 2017 bubble, because it is actually a, you know, as, as far as all of the lawyers are concerned, you know, fully regulatory compliant uh, initial public offering of the, um, the company's token, which has all of these very specific and well-defined terms of you know what the token allows you to do what rights it conveys to you and um i think really the complexity of this thing uh, i don't even know how many pages the actual like ipo documents are uh probably close to 100 pages Uh, the complexity of it meant that you know the vast majority of people were not going to go read the terms and like get the nuance and the minutia of what it was actually doing. Um, there was also pushback to the fact that the, the token is uh, an ERC 20 compatible token. It's technically not an ERC 20. It's um, uh, it was like ERC 1400 something, uh, I think, but like, you know, people got really upset about it being on Ethereum Um you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is it, um, the Ethereum protocol you know, made it really easy to do that type of smart contract, especially given the fact that this whole process got jump started uh, late 2017, early 2018. So 
you know, people jumped to conclusions. They made assumptions uh, because I was a technical advisor on the project. They assumed that like I advised the project to use Ethereum for this token. Uh, that decision was actually made before I even came on board. And it was not something that I or any of the other advisors had the ability to change because it was a regulatory decision where the, the SEC was basically more comfortable with understanding these Ethereum smart contracts because there were so many of them, uh, mainly because of, you know, the 2017 ICO craze. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was probably half a dozen other objections as well that I'm forgetting. It's been several months since I've even talked about this, uh, but they're all, they're all outlined in my, um, my blog post, I think I called it um, shit coins and STOs because this is, um, <laughs> this is an STO. It's a you know, security token. It is a, you know, from a legal standpoint, it is a security. It, it has, you know, AML KYC compliance requirements. The, the way that I kind of describe it is like the fact that the token is on the Ethereum blockchain is actually fairly irrelevant. Because if you read the terms of the IPO, the like the official keeper of the records of who owns the tokens is actually not the Ethereum blockchain. Um, it's actually, I, I believe, it's TokenSoft who is you know managing yeah. that whole process. So like, there's there's a lot of things that you could get upset about. Um, a lot of things that people did get upset about. And, and I think that one of the big ones, which I, I tried to explain in my blog post, is that there's this idea and this narrative around, quote unquote, Bitcoin maximalism. And it's been fascinating to watch this evolve over the years. I mean, the term Bitcoin maximalism was really coined by Vitalik Buterin, uh, I don't know, maybe 2015 or so. It was, you know, right around the beginnings of Ethereum. And at the time, this was really, I think, due to a pushback against the Ethereum ICO, which, uh, you know, jump started the um, bootstrapping of paying for the initial design and rollout of Ethereum as a network. And I think. Part of the problem of what has happened over the years, especially uh, after the 2017 cycle with, it was just rampant with scams. I'm pretty sure like 90% of the ICOs ended up being you know, fraudulent and um, never delivering on any of their promises. But, you know, maximalism, I think really solidified. And, and so you know, there have been some projects that Bitcoiners, even Bitcoin maximalists have been more friendly to. And I think the reason for that is that they're not considered to be really competing with Bitcoin. And one of the things that I tried to outline in my post is that I don't see any way that anyone could consider a, you know, regulatory compliant AML KYC security token to be competing with Bitcoin. It's not trying to be money. <laughs> It is, it is ultimately a cryptographic token that just represents something that, that is ultimately a single point of failure because the company itself gets to decide who owns what. Like they are the, the master um, controller of their own ledger. And 
yeah, I think that people just got upset because they considered this to be uh, really like legitimizing Ethereum as a platform or whatever. Um, and that, you know, Ethereum does have, uh, I think, a decent number of people who have started pushing a narrative that Ethereum is money. And, you know, Ethereum has gone through a couple of different narratives of what it actually is over the years. I think as it tries to figure out what it actually is, and that's going to be an ongoing thing. So my whole point was like, I don't think that uh, you need to be worried about this competing with Bitcoin. And so I basically came to the conclusion that um, while I've generally considered myself to be a Bitcoin maximalist, this is not the first time that I've gotten pushback on being interested or uh, associated with other crypto projects. I mean, I've gotten flack for mentioning Grin, even though I had been talking about Mimblewimble technology for a number of years before Grin ever launched. Um, and that was really because I think once Grin launched, it was considered by some to be a competitor. Um, even though the like economic properties of Grin are horrendous, if you're looking at it as a store of value, yeah. Um, and I've also, you know, I've been, I've played around with like Zcash uh, before it ever even launched. Um, I'm sure if I mention anything about Zcash these days, people would jump on me again because they consider a competitor. Um, I've also, you know, been interested in Monero. Generally, I'm interested in you know privacy related things, but you know, I found this project to be interesting because it was trying to bridge a gap it was trying to do you could consider it to be it was trying to do an ico the way that icos should have been done it was trying to do it in a way where it was outlining all of the actual risks it was outlining uh what the actual rights of the token holders were and um you know, this is an ongoing thing. We'll we'll see. You know, INX the exchange is currently you know hoping to launch sometime mid next year. The uh, the actual infrastructure and software and stuff is already in place. I think it's really mostly it's still regulatory stuff. You know, getting licenses and everything that is the blocker for for actually launching, but. Uh, the experiment continues and uh, some people will be upset and some people will consider it to be uh, an experiment worth uh, investing in or, or worth using, you know, as an exchange. Um, I, uh, I myself was not conveying like any sort of recommendation on investing in it, but, you know, if people want to read the terms and they want to invest in it, then they're certainly free to do so. Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, we all have our area specialty, especially when we have certain types of uh, security considerations in mind and do and, and and necessary diligence on projects we feel are doing a good job. Um, it's hard to find that line between um, sticking to what you know and being comfortable with, and being open to potential innovation for people trying to do things, even though they may or may not be capable of doing it. And so like, it's, 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 it's generally good to be open to projects, trying to do good things. That doesn't mean that like you're diving wholeheartedly into them. And unfortunately, whenever you are open to something or try and play with something or figure it out and see what novel thing they're trying to do, 
Um, some people take it personally, especially if you're if you've been on one side for so long. So I that's yeah, I don't think it's one of those it's one of those situations you're probably always gonna have to handle because you seem generally open to novel technology trying to solve problems. Uh, so good luck, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is not um, well, controversy is not a new thing uh, for me. I would say this type of uh, feedback, you know, whiplash, whatever, um, or backlash from the, the like social media community happens to me at least a few times a year. It's always something different. But the the theme that I think remains the same is that it's always a result of people having formed a mental model of who I am and then me doing something that breaks that mental model and considers it to be a betrayal of some sort. <laughs> and that is, you know, fundamentally, I expect that will continue to happen. I will happily try to continue to explain myself and explain my beliefs and, and whatever. Um, but there is, it's just, there's no possible way, especially once you get to have uh, an audience, the, the size that I have, there's just no way that you can appease everyone. And I've never been interested in appeasing anyone. Actually, I've always just spoken my mind and done what I considered to be interesting things or the right thing. Um, this is going to result in controversy at some point. Um, I mean, I, I would expect that probably I probably offend somebody almost every day from something that I do or say. Um, but I, good job. I can't, <laughs> I think that's good. I think I, that's good. I, yeah. I can't, you know, I don't, I don't try to go out of my way uh, to offend people. I mean, sometimes I will, I certainly do things that I try to trigger people. Um, usually I try to trigger people into thinking more critically rather than just being like, yeah, yeah, you're dumb. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's part of the, you know, the, the fun experience of being on social media is that you know you get you get um a lot of diverse opinions thrown at you uh, a lot of curveballs but that's what keeps things interesting you know if it was the same thing every day in and out then i would probably get bored with it and um i'm i guess in a way I like found my voice over the years, but if anything, like the way that I found my voice was just to, to focus more on a nice man. I mean, few broad look. topics of like privacy, self-sovereignty, um, you know, screw the, the, screw the man do your own thing to fight back against the power. But you know, that's, uh, that's definitely going to ruffle some feathers. Look, you're going to, People will find reasons to be upset about all kinds of shit. So don't worry about it. Just keep doing your thing. Cause obviously it's definitely a net positive to everything. So, you know, keep doing your thing. So we're going to wrap it with our trademark question. We, we ask this all the time. You've answered it before, but congratulations. You get to answer it again. In uh, 10 words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? This is, yeah, it's always fun to do this because I, 
I've never settled on one specific thing, you know, it keeps changing all the time. Um, Bitcoin is the first, oh God, 10 words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitcoin is an open collaborative project to create perfect money. Eight it's words. eight words. I mean, it's 10 words if you do Bitcoin is. But We're nice job. Good shit. Good shit. Well, Mr. Lot, James, thank you for coming by again. Um, especially at such a you know good timing when you know the the taproot and Schnorr is in the in the code base, and no matter how many times uh, you explain it, um, I have a feeling you're going to be explaining what it is like hundreds, if not thousands, of more times because you're an epicenter of knowledge. So, you know, good luck with that um, Groundhog Day journey that you're on. And also good luck with everything at Casa. Casa Auto has been great. Um, I think that you guys are kind of going in the right direction as trying to provide, you know, some sort of physical thing that people have to interact with and think about when it comes to crypto. So, hey, man, thanks for coming by. My pleasure. Hey guys, we really hope that you enjoyed that interview. Um, you know, we got a lot of moving parts going on the back end. Not they they move just not fast, and there's many of them. So one of the things I want to talk about, Daniel in the Slack has is uh, he's accepted our offer to manage our Shopify and help us grow our Patreon. So thank you very much, Daniel. It's been awesome the, the, the first couple of weeks trying to bounce off ide- ideas off of each other and in what direction we're taking this thing. Uh, we've never really been able to get it off the ground. It's been a lot of failure to launches. Uh, it's been two, actually, but two is a lot if you're in the, the content creation um, uh, avenue. So if you could check out our, our Shopify store at store.thebitcoinpodcast.com. And you'll see some merch there. We've got a lot of things. We've got everything from underwear to hats to hacky sacks to beanbag covers to mints. I think we got it all, right? We can get we can get you anything you need, right? We can get you guys uh, loofahs. We can get you loofahs, uh, socks, um, dog leashes. Really? You, need, you name it, we can brand it. Yeah, because we got... We got mad menu. We got mad menu. We got a supply chain, Jesse. We got a supply <laughs> chain for merch. All right. Please join our Slack. Uh, go to the BitcoinPodcast.com and push Slack and then join it. And you can hang out with us. It's, it's, it's a good hang. Um, there's some actual value to join in our Slack, too. We happen to have some very awesome individuals in the Slack. And some of these individuals have even gotten jobs in crypto just for being involved and joining discussions and conversations and learning and growing. And then, boom, they get themselves a nice hot job in crypto. And, you know, we're always welcome to be like, hey, they'll be like, hey, man, like, recommend me. And then me and Corey are like, no fucking doubt. We got you. And we get them jobs. And that's been cool. And another thing is, is there's a lot of people in there with some really sound experience that have been in crypto for a really long time. So it's a community you might want to be a part of if you're not a member of any other crypto communities. 
there's a lot of them. I know it, but ours is better. So join ours. Also, you could go. You could support us on Patreon. Uh, the tiers are there. They're outlined. Um, and we're going to start to grow on that. I know one of the things we're really working hard to get is at least one show a month where you can participate in the show by being a Patreon and by being a member of the Slack. At the same time, you will get access to our shows. Um, and maybe you can even talk to some of the guests that we have on. Um, so uh, we are working that up. It's going to be pretty fucking awesome. Daniel, thank you again. Uh, Jesse, you got anything? Yeah, thanks to everybody behind the uh, show. Alicia for helping manage the guests and, and uh, producing. And then uh, Andy for also helping us market. Nice. So uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Shout out to Zazi Beats. Um, yeah, play the outro. Mm-hmm.